0: You're listening to episode 85 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara, he's Alex, and opening weekend is in the books. But baseball in a pandemic might not be as seamless as we'd hoped. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in for the first regular season edition of Chirps. I am back this week along with Alex, and we're actually recording this a day early because the Cardinals have an off day and it works better into our schedule. So you're welcome. You get chirps a day early for what seems to be the beginning of, or maybe just the continuation of a roller coaster in baseball. We're going to talk a little bit about the latest news in the COVID outbreak that started with the Marlins, and who knows how much worse it's going to get. We'll dive into that a little bit later. But first of all, Alex, I know we want to talk about all the things, including the actual baseball that happened this weekend, but I I do feel like I have to acknowledge that Baseball has actually started for
1: you now, right? (laughs) Baseball has definitely started, and uh, there's a chance it has also stopped. Yeah, (laughs) we shall see.
0: Uh, Yeah, it's it's trending that direction, and I'm laughing not because it's funny, but because there's just... Every time we do this show, I feel like we're on a different version of the same roller coaster, and it just... It doesn't, it doesn't end, and it doesn't get any clearer as far as the picture of what's going to
1: happen. <laughs> yeah, speaking of that, remember the Juan Soto news? That was four days ago.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. It seems the, like a
1: really long time ago.
0: You know, I feel like when this whole quarantine situation started, we joked a lot about how the days all feel the same, and we don't know what day it is. Now it just feels like there's, there's something happening with – like the space-time continuum because everything seems so distant when it was just days ago. And sure, that's the result of so much news happening all the time. But man, yeah, that feels like that feels like an eternity ago already. And it feels like that was a thing we were like, oh man, this is pretty bad. <laughs> Little did we know. <laughs> Oh man, that's 2020 for you. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I do want to start things off on a much more positive note and talk about the real baseball we got to see this weekend. And Alex, I don't know about you because I know we've talked about the fact that it's been easier and easier to consider life without baseball the longer we didn't have it. But man, I was really pumped about baseball this weekend. And the more I watched, the more I remembered how much I enjoy having baseball in the summer.
1: Me too. Um, even with uh, baseball's attempts to take the wind out of my sails by uh, shoehorning in the uh, extra playoff teams uh, <laughs> right at the uh, umpteenth hour, uh-huh. uh, I, that I, I was really there. I was ready. I was like, "All right, let's do this." And then they did that, and I was just like, "What? Why? Like, how? How is this even able to be done at this point?" But no. Um, like you said, then the actual game started, and everything seemed, for the first time to me, totally doable. And that oh, this is this is going to work. Um, I think I said last week or maybe two weeks ago that it, I was really going to have a hard time watching games without a a crowd. And mm, yeah, I think I would have gotten used to it a lot quicker than I thought I would have. Um, when I, when I made that comment, the fake crowd noise really sort of worked, um, works, I guess, you know, this is still as far as we know at this point in time, still all happening. Um, it, it, works cause they, they don't dial it up too much. Uh, you know, it just kind of feels like this white noise buzz that's in the background, like a normal baseball game. And, it's done well enough that it fooled me a couple times into when, you know, you're just focused on the action, forgetting the fact that, the, that no one is there. And then I was thinking during Friday's game when the Cardinals had a three-run lead entering the ninth against the Pirates and KK was brought in to close the game. And he wasn't very sharp. He started giving up singles, started giving up a lot of hard contact. And, uh, I'm like, I was like brushing my teeth. So I was getting ready to go to bed as I'm listening to it on the radio. Um, and I'm getting very nervous and anxious. Um, but I'm thinking, you know what, this is good. Like, like this, I feel just like I would during any normal game during any normal season. Like this is the exact same anxiety that I was always used to feeling in previous years. And it's back. So that means this season is somehow legitimate. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: No, I get it. I felt the same way watching. Uh, first of all, the the Tyler O'Neill home run in the opener. I think I probably scared my neighbors. And all of a sudden, I was like, "Wait, I care about this again." <laughs> that happened quickly, and all of a sudden, I was right back in it and ready to uh, ready to watch baseball the way that we've always watched baseball. But. I think I agree with the crowd noise. I thought I was going to hate it. And I will say there were times where they tried to pump it up a little bit because of the situation. But with a wide shot where you see all the empty seats in the background, it just was a little jarring to me. But baseball is a, a thing that I think a lot of people, you can have it on and maybe not watch every single pitch of every single game, but it can be on in the background. And in that way, it sounded and felt just like a real game. Uh, not not a real game, <laughs> just like a, a regular game with fans in the stands and all of that. And I, I think some of that credit goes to Danny Mac and uh, Brad Thompson, who were on the call for the Cardinals this weekend. There, and I've talked about this with a few people. I think we talked about it here, that there could be a little bit of a lull in the announcer's enthusiasm because of the lack of energy in the building. And there really wasn't. Now, This wasn't, you know, a division winning series, but... It was an opening weekend series, and while it didn't feel like a normal opening day, I did feel like they did a nice job of maintaining the excitement and the feeling of, okay, baseball is back, and this is what's happening, and it's weird and it's different, but we're going to lean into it and make the best of the situation because the baseball is still there, and it's still going to be good, and Jack Flaherty's still going to be exciting, and the defense was still good, and they put up a bunch of runs even if they didn't finish it out to get the series sweep on Sunday. And all of that still was there for me. And it felt like, like you said, like this is this is doable from at least the standpoint of we can watch baseball and enjoy it like this, even if it's not ideal for the remainder of the summer. And I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about it, but it didn't take long. <laughs> didn't take long before I was all in.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it only took... A second to where your focus is where it should be, which is on like, you know, ha- ha- how's Tyler O'Neill look right now to see his batting yeah. eye look okay. Things like that. Uh, you mentioned Dan McLaughlin. I've never been the biggest Danny Mac fan, but I agree. I think he and Brad Thompson did an awesome job in this opening series, especially considering they're not in the same booth. They're not sitting together as far as I understand. I understand. At least th- they weren't think- on Friday.
0: I think that they are, it's like a double tiered booth and Brad Thompson is up above and behind Danny Mac, but they're not sitting next to each other. So so they can't really see each other. They're not, so they're in proximity, but not close to each other. They they
1: can feel each (laughs) other's presence. um, Right. Yes. (laughs) And okay. So I mentioned, I listened to the ninth inning of Friday's game. Uh, I listened to it on the radio, uh, after watching the first eight innings on TV, radio is where it really works because yeah. you hear that buzz of the crowd noise mm-hmm. and, you know, the fact that you can't see the empty seats, it really, it really felt like any other game. So yeah, I, I was wondering the whole time leading up to this and whether or not I was able to, I was going to be able to mentally get there and I got there pretty quickly. You know, I'm watching quick pitch on Saturday morning, like yeah. you know, excited to see the highlights stuff like that so that was good and the team uh obviously too early to really say all that much but the team in some ways looked pretty promising if not kind of what we would expect like like Flaherty looked good Wainwright looked passable uh Dakota Hudson looked a lot like Dakota Hudson um And, you know, the offense kind of looked, you know, we saw some great defense. We saw Yachty throwing people out. Uh, We saw an offense that looked like it could be like last year where streaky at times and then just totally asleep at the wheel at other times. Again, I hesitate to say even any of this because it was three games against the Pirates. But the point is the focus quickly went to where it should be and where I wanted it to be, which is just like trying to analyze what this team's about and, um, you know, how they look instead of like, uh, you know, is this even real baseball?
0: Yeah. And I think, I think that we've spent so much time talking about the larger context of this season and what it means to play in the middle of a pandemic and how they're going to have to adjust all of these things. And you're right. I don't think it looked different. It didn't feel different. Yes. There were some differences as far as, (laughs) Mike Schilt and his invisible man mask in the dugout and some of those other things. But, you know, the the argument between uh, the Pirates manager and the uh, home plate umpire where they had to stop and put their masks on before they could finish the argument, those kinds of things are where you realized, oh, okay, this is this is in the middle of something that's very weird and there's a lot more going on here. But for the most part, it was just baseball. And man, did that feel good in the larger context to have something that for a little while even if it was only three days before it all came crashing down around us, it felt really, really normal. One thing that didn't feel normal, I don't know if you saw any of the Fox games on Saturday. They did it uh, at Wrigley, and I think they did it for the Yankees game later that night. Did you see the virtual fans, the like video game fans that they put it did you see any of that so
1: i didn't actually see it in real time i guess i saw fox did like a little promo like uh, tune in to see what a game looks like with virtual fans and so i kind of saw what the idea was going to look like in practice but i didn't actually see the game did it look ridiculous because it's it, awful okay it didn't, <laughs> It didn't. uh, It it looked more like I was watching a video game than yeah.
0: So here's my here's my issues with it at the moment. First of all, the the people look so unreal. And video game like that, it's kind of terrifying, <laughs> um, especially when you know there's a, a foul ball hit into the section and nobody moves. <laughs> They're just kind of standing there and bouncing around like video game characters. But the thing that was so weird about it on Saturday, and I think they were just trying to introduce it, explain it, show it off a little bit, but not you know go all in with it is it they would use it like on a shot to break where they would show the bleachers at Wrigley full of these virtual fans, mm-hmm. but then they would come back from break with that same shot with empty bleachers. Mm-hmm. So it would completely ruin. I mean, if you're trying to create some you know, version of normalcy where at least at a passing glance, you don't notice that the stands are empty, they can't be there one shot and not there the next. They can't pop in and out throughout the whole game. It really ruins the the sort of magic of putting virtual fans in the stands. But then I, I did. they weren't trying to pass it off as this thing that we hope you don't notice. They were talking about it the whole time. But that almost made it more strange because they would go to a shot that was clearly empty sections in the stadium, then lay in these virtual fans, and then they would talk about, oh, we can change what they're wearing, and we can change their hair color, and we can change that. And it just got really weird. And it was yeah. creeping me out a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> not a fan of, of the version. Virtu- the cardboard cutouts, I am all, all in. But the virtual video game characters? No, thank you.
1: Yeah, I think that's one of those things where I sort of appreciate the effort. I know this is new to everyone. People are trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. But I think why the fake crowd noise works is because after a while, it just becomes a part of the game and some of that has to do with the fact that they're not constantly talking about it telling you that yeah. what you, and, <laughs> and how about that fake crowd <laughs> you know um which Hats it sounds off like to maybe, the sound guy yeah, for those if what you just said is so. the case that they're constantly alluding to the fact that there are there's some sort of computer generated fans in the stands yeah that that seems uh i don't think anyone really needs that
0: well and that's my question who's that for <laughs> What is the purpose of that? Because everyone knows there aren't fans. Everyone knows that it's a weird situation, and the illusion is broken as soon as there's a foul ball hit into that section and nobody moves. Or you come, you know, it's you can't maintain the illusion that there are fans in the stands. Plus, why would you try to? I I guess in the middle of everything that is making the season complicated adding a layer of complication that doesn't actually make anything better. It's just more confusing. It doesn't seem like, I mean, I can appreciate the effort in the the work that it took to create that ability. But I just don't understand who it's for.
1: I would rather them be more creative than that. And just instead of empty, instead of uh, empty stands filled with fake people, have like, uh, comp- have like an ocean or have like, yeah, uh, there you go. I don't know, like the Himalayan <laughs> mountains. <laughs> like, give us something to look at. Yeah. Uh, lean into
0: the weird. Don't, yeah. don't try to make it seem normal by being weird. Just lean into it. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I don't know. I, the, the virtual fans, not a big, not a big fan of that. I am a little disappointed that the Cardinals are not doing the cardboard cutouts. I think that could have been a lot of fun. I don't understand yeah, why they're not doing it, but, that's, you
1: know. That's something that, like, might lose its novelty kind of fast. Although, I, Oh, for sure. <laughs> uh, um, I, I did. Uh, was that in Oakland? I only saw, I think, uh, Emma Becquieri had a tweet about it where there was, like, someone going to catch a foul ball. I think it was in Oakland. And there were, like, uh, stuffed animal dogs there, a few cardboard. I did see that. Cut- was that in Oakland?
0: I think it was. <laughs> that was excellent. yeah. See, they could just change it up and, and fill the stands at least where the cameras tend to be with things that are entertaining. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. There was a, there was one white Sox fan. They did the cardboard cutouts and the money all went to charity and this businessman in Chicago bought like two whole sections of just himself. (laughs) So that's kind of funny. Um, I will say, though, the mascots wandering the stadiums by themselves, that is that has been hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is funny. Um, I, I, I always love the idea of a mascot uh, because you never know what their expression looks like underneath that suit. Mm-hmm. That suit really uh, fools you into thinking uh, that they have that exact expression on their face when you know, in fact, they don't. Um, So, yeah, 100-degree day, you have Fred Bird dressed up, walking around uh, lonely all by himself. Uh, (laughs) That's dedication to the craft. It is. And, yeah, it's just another way to help people watching on TV. You see Fred Bird help it feel like a a normal game, I guess. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things that, Adds to the visual of how weird this is. And honestly, I'm okay with that. Like I said, with the virtual fans, I don't think trying to make it seem normal is going to, be a benefit to this season because nothing as we've seen in the last couple of days, nothing about this season is going to seem normal. You're going to see lineups go out there that you're thinking, why would those guys ever be on the field? And the reality is because they are guys who can't be around their teammates right now as they wait for tests to come back or whatever the case may be. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for the embracing the oddity of this season as opposed to trying to pass it off as not that unusual. Right. But as far as the team is concerned, I do want to go back to that for just a minute because I do think there were some interesting notes about the Cardinals this weekend. I don't think it was surprising to see Jack Flaherty pitch well. I don't think what we saw out of Adam Wainwright was really surprising because it's a lot of what we saw last year looking like he was about to lose control and then somehow by the magic of Adam Wainwright reeling it in. I think that there were lots of conversations that – had to do with the the larger than baseball things, whether it was the social justice issues or the pandemic or, you know, whatever else it may be. And we heard from a lot of players that have continued to make their voice heard. But then when they started playing baseball, man, it was it was a lot of figuring out what this team is and what it looks like. And it was surprising to me to see Tyler O'Neill and Dexter Fowler kind of lead the charge in game one. And then you saw some of those other guys come along um, as the series progressed. I think Saturday's game was obviously the the most promising, not just because they scored a bunch of runs, but because they did it in a bunch of different ways and a bunch of different people were involved in that. If you took away one overly positive thing and one thing that you're concerned about from the first weekend? Again, with a caveat, it's three games. It's against the Pirates. You don't dig too deep into anything at this point. But a a positive and a negative from this weekend,
1: what would it be? Positive? I think the team has the potential to be very exciting. I know that's overly broad, but I think about the only run that the Cardinals scored on Sunday, or at least only run I saw them score on Sunday. Maybe I'm wrong because um, I turned it off after the eighth inning, so had to go do something. Um,
0: so did I, but I'm pretty sure it was just the one. Okay, so
1: <laughs> you know, the, you probably know the play I'm talking about. Tommy Edman uh, beats out an infield single, uh-huh. and uh, Colton Wong comes around to score um, from second, uh, and. I bring that up in a larger point in that those guys are also in the infield and they make up what is probably the best defense in maybe all of baseball. And you go completely up the middle and you talk about Yadier Molina and Harrison Bader in the outfield. Like There's very few teams in baseball worth watching um, because of something that does not have to do with hitting or pitching. And I feel like the Cardinals are actually – maybe one of those teams Mm, like they had the potential to be a very exciting team even when we're not talking about hitting or pitching um and and usually like that is the game right like uh Mm -hmm. and i'm not trying to downplay the importance of those two things because uh those are the most important parts obviously of of baseball but it's fun when you have a team like this it they can really be entertaining the i think one negative and i'm I'm very curious to hear your opinions on uh, positives and negatives. The negative, I still, th- I'm still not totally sure about this offense. Um, now, if uh, if Fowler and Tyler O'Neill have decent years, then I feel great. But if not, then that seven, eight, nine feels very, very weak, even in the first year of us experiencing a DH it just feels just does not feel strong especially when you turn the lineup over and again as much as i love Colton Wong and Tommy Edmond, very good players i'm big fans of both i've i'm a big Tommy Edmond fan they're not necessarily known for their bats so when you turn the lineup over and you and you have Colton Wong and Tommy Edman sitting there if if it's yeah if if if, if we're not if we're a total dud, seven through nine, I think this offense could be in trouble. So I, I, I think the jury's still out on the offense. I think it would be what worries me, even though they certainly um, looked pretty lively on Saturday.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I think all of that is is definitely true. I would say I... It's interesting that you mentioned Colton Wong and Tommy Tommy Edmund at the top of the lineup, because that was one of my positive takeaways in that I think the two of them, if they're playing at the level they're capable of, and look, it's baseball, everybody's going to have ups and downs in this season, you don't have a lot of time for that, but it's still probably going to happen. But I love the dynamic of actually the one through nine in that order based on the potential of those guys. And mm-hmm. I, I talked to Daniel Shopta about this a little bit, and I kept saying I'm trying not to see it you know, with, with rose-colored glasses because we saw a lot of these guys last year and they would be ice cold for stretches and it didn't matter what their potential was. But I actually like the way that this order was crafted based on the people that Mike Schultz has to work with. I think if you look at those guys and put them in an order that, should do the most damage, that could be the most exciting, this is probably it. And I like that you have Colton Wong and Tommy Edmund with the speed and the aggressiveness at the top of the order because of the kinds of runs they can create, like you mentioned, where Colton Wong scored from second because of smart base running and the speed of Tommy Edmund. That kind of thing can change the dynamic of a game. It didn't that day, but it can, especially then when you have Paul Goldschmidt and Paul DeYoung behind them. So I really liked the way that that lineup sets this team up for success. I think that you could easily look at the pitching with this team as just sort of a constant positive, but that wasn't really surprising. The negative for me um, probably is still the fact that even what I just said is based so much on potential and not necessarily on – there's no guarantees in anything, but – it's it's expecting the best of everyone. <laughs> and if you don't get the best of everyone, then you're right back in the hole that you were in last year. And that's just a product of not really changing the the roadmap a whole lot and expecting to just let guys get better. Um, I think that as much as we want to talk about Matt Carpenter perhaps looking better as far as his swing and what the expectations are of him he wasn't super productive this weekend and he was a part of a couple of big moments in, in scoring, but you know, he wasn't, crazy dominant or anything like that um I think Dakota Hudson is a little bit concerning at this point so if I'm pointing out one specific negative maybe that's it just because the rest of the the pitching we saw this weekend outside of KK and I'm sort of writing that off as a uh, he said he was nervous in his first appearance and we'll get better from him as we go on so maybe we'll revisit that later and go well actually that was a pretty big red flag um But I'm sort of writing that off at this point because we don't have anything else to go off of. Dakota Hudson kind of is what he is for me. And I'm not sure that's a good thing at this point. But the silver lining is Austin Gomber is there and appears ready to go and to step in, whether it's in some sort of piggyback fashion or if Dakota Hudson does not get a long leash because of the short season and they need to go a different direction there. But Overall, honestly, I felt like, yes, it would have been nice to finish off the sweep on Sunday, but there were a lot of positive takeaways from this weekend series that maybe it's because they were playing the Pirates, maybe it's because they got good pitching performances from Jack Flaherty and, for the most part, Adam Wainwright, but I was pretty pleased with what we saw this weekend.
1: I was too, and I I don't mean to denigrate Colton Wong and uh, Edmund at the top there. Especially, I think Colton Wong at his best is pretty much your ideal leadoff hitter. I I think it's more Edmund. Like, and again, I'm an sure. Edmund fan. Yeah. I just don't know. I mean, is this a guy? There's, is this, there's
0: not a lot of a track record.
1: So. Yeah, is this 120 yeah. WRC plus guy that we we might want in that two spot? I don't know. Um, so I just think there's some, some uncertainty there. But there's sure. so much potential with this team to be super exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's why I said I, I'm hesitant to buy in too quickly because, you know, anyone can look great based on potential and, you know, maybe not so great on performance, but it's all there. And it's all there in a way that I think works for this team and works for this manager, even if they're not, you know, LA or New York where they have the the huge names and the huge bats, there's still potential with this team. It's just a matter of getting it to play out accordingly, which is a lot easier said than done, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, definitely.
0: And it's a lot easier when you don't have to worry so much about whether the season's going to be canceled every single day. As we mentioned at the top of the show, not great news. For the Marlins, after their opening weekend, over a dozen people in that organization tested positive after a player traveled with the team, learned of a positive test after he had already traveled. There are so many holes in this health and safety protocol and so much is left up to the teams to handle themselves without a lot of oversight or instruction that all of a sudden you had a team that decided to go ahead and play based on a group text where they all decided, no, I think we can power through it. What? What is, what is this mess? <laughs> I don't even know what question to ask or where to direct this because it just, it's scary. Yeah. And it's scary for a lot of people. And the player pools exist so that you can pull guys up and, and make do when someone tests positive. But look, this, we played one weekend series and we're already talking about games being canceled and what happens if, and there's really no good plan in place.
1: Believe me, this is not what this is, but it almost feels like this is a trial balloon set off by the NFL to see how much the public is willing to tolerate, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) Uh to get their sports um, or how much we're willing to just look the other way and not, feel uh too icky about about this. Um I don't know what to do. I was very I I think vocal enough on this podcast um about whether or not they should even be having a season in the first place leading up to it. Um I really don't know what you do if all of a sudden you have a situation where you're canceling games or not or postponing games this early into the season. Um, you know, I, I, it's hard to think this is going to be uh, an outlier. Um, it it feels like this is going to be like an everyday thing so we're going to just be living with this all season unless like MLB does something totally nefarious and basically says behind the curtain all right no more no more reporting on these um <laughs> you know we're we're just going to power through behind the scenes um i would think that i would hope that wouldn't happen i don't think it would but you know let's let's never assume anything <laughs> um <laughs> anymore um yeah not a great day uh so marlins and orioles postponed yankees phillies postponed um dc today announced now this was for people who are um traveling for non-essential reasons but i assume baseball players are considered essential because it's for the job but still dc announced today that anyone Returning from twenty-seven different states has to go go into two weeks of quarantine, and three teams that the Nationals play are in um, are in those states, um, and and so it's just like how are we going to navigate this with what is still obviously going on? Canada, Toronto, all of a sudden, um, you, you know, I, I've I I don't, I don't know what we thought of that decision last week or so, but. It kind of and it looks a little more responsible now. I don't know. I mean, I just... I'm not qualified to talk about this stuff because I'm learning about all of this um, along with everyone else. I don't know what exactly should be done. It doesn't feel like maybe... They, it doesn't feel like they should be playing. You know, we have a guy like Dusty Baker who's managing the Astros. How old is Dusty? He's up there, right? I mean, th- these are the people we should be worried about. Yeah, it's the players yeah. who so far right now are coming down with it. Um, but it's, it, it's the people who we know are in that danger zone uh, via their age um, who we need to worry about. And that, that constitutes a lot of people involved with these teams, coaches, managers, umpires. I don't know. This this is, and it's, go ahead.
0: What's, what's concerning to me is that I think there was some level of tolerance or preparation for three or four players, right? I think the fact that this spiraled so quickly is what probably caught everyone off guard in the sense that this wasn't part of the plan. This wasn't part of what they were prepared for. And I think that's obvious in the way people have responded from the organizations affected to the commissioner. And... That's what is scary about it to me is that it can spiral so quickly. And then you're not just talking about 12 or 13 players and staff. You're talking about the people at the hotel they were staying at because they were on the road. You're talking about the bus drivers. You're talking about the stadium employees. You're talking about everyone they came into contact with. And it gets out of control so quickly. And that's what is so scary about this situation because there are still so many unknowns about how... Any individual, regardless of age, but certainly more specifically about those who are older, how they're going to be affected by it. And then, you know, you see guys who had tested positive prior to the season starting, guys like Freddie Freeman – Who came back, but now we're starting to hear about people who have these lingering conditions, whether it's their heart or their lungs or their this or their that. So it just – the fact that it can spiral out of control in three days is very concerning to me. And the way you recover from that, I don't know exactly – what the solution is and and like you said I'm not really qualified to make that judgment but it feels like there should be someone in place who is rather than waiting until it happens and then trying to clean up the mess after the fact i think as far as the way this went for the Marlins it's easy to try to figure out who to blame for it it's harder to figure out how to prevent it from happening again and I would imagine that baseball is going to do everything they possibly can to figure out how to play anyway, but there are going to be guys, especially if this happens for another team in the next week, there are going to be guys who start opting out. There are going to be players who decide, Nope, I tried it. This is, I can't do it. If you're not going to figure out how to make this work any better than it is. And part of that is just going to be the the fact that this is a sport that chose to not try to operate in a bubble. I'm curious though, we sort of laughed that whole thing off with Arizona or with Florida or whatever it was trying to create this dome effect for baseball. We're seeing that now with the NBA and with the NHL, and it seems to be working so far, although there's a lot to be seen yet as far as their, their seasons get back underway. Do you think at this point that they maybe should have taken more time to consider how to create some bubble cities for baseball?
1: I do not. I... So uh, are we talking about like the original plan where it was Texas and Florida or Florida and Arizona? Because, you know, one, these are two of the hottest states (laughs) we have. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, um, and we didn't know this at the time, but we know it now. They both have had an uptick in COVID um, since that idea was first floated. Three, and this was discussed a lot today online, a point that I hadn't, totally considered but once it was thrown out there made total sense is the fact that it's not as easy to to get all these baseball games in like perhaps you can with basketball where they don't play every day where just the amount of people and the amount of space you need is much smaller versus an entire baseball stadium Um, so I don't know how feasible that idea ever actually was, even when you take away the ungodly heat and and the fact that these are both two COVID hotspots right now. So it's easy, I think, to look back now and say um, they could have been better prepared or had a better plan. Um, And I think uh, both of those things are true. But I don't know if the bubble is necessarily the answer. And we don't know if what the NBA and the NHL are doing is even the right thing. And also, like the NBA and NHL, they just need to get like their playoffs over with. They're just right. trying to get that playoff <laughs> revenue. That baseball has to play sixty games. You know, each team has to play sixty games. How I don't know how many games that is total, but it's a lot of games, and then a postseason. I just don't think it would have been possible. Uh, I mean, I was joking in my head today um well okay here's my solution now make everyone be in a bubble now and wherever you are now you just have to stay there and that's who you play so the Cardinals can <laughs> just play the Pirates 60 times at home this season and then uh you know that works out well for us because the Pirates think yeah, and yeah. Then, uh, you know <laughs> Cardinals can go 41 and 19 or probably not that well but whatever whatever they would do um so I don't know I I think they're just I think the only plan right now is to just keep going forward, because they're obviously not going to cancel it. Just keep going forward, and they need to just pray that it doesn't all fall apart like it, like that, like today doesn't happen every day almost to where yeah. they're going to have to just look themselves in the eye and say we can't do this any longer. I don't know. How yeah. much does they, not- d- how much do you think they? Loose face if they play, like, how big of a disaster do you think it is if we get to like game 20 and then it's canceled? Mm,
0: yeah, you know, when this initially started, my cynical perspective was give it two weeks, <laughs> give it two weeks, and if it works at that point, then maybe we'll be able to get it in. So, I think the fact that this happened so early gives them a chance to course correct a little quicker. But it depends on if they do, in fact, figure out how to course correct, because that seems to be the biggest problem right now is the how of what to do next. So, ah, man, if they, if they can't even get half of those 60 games in, I feel like they're going to look pretty bad. And it's going to look a lot like they never should have started in the first place, especially considering the NBA shut down after a single positive test. Now, We've learned a lot more about the virus and all of those things si- since then, mm-hmm. but 13 or whatever it is in one organization seems like such a dramatic difference from what we saw a couple of months ago that shut the entire NBA down. So knowing that, my point is, if they if they are tolerant of that much of an outbreak, that much of a problem, and then they still can't get through half a season, that means it's going to get a lot worse in order for them to shut it down, which I I don't think they'll be able to save a whole lot of face at that point.
1: Yeah. um, I guess we just have to hope that they no longer care about saving face and they just care about doing whatever the experts are telling them they should be doing.
0: Which doesn't seem to be the case so far, but <laughs> no, you know no, they may have
1: already moved past that part. Oh <laughs> I think uh,
0: I think that would be a dramatic change in uh, their their attempts at, at handling this. But you know we're joking about it a little bit to some extent, but because we don't have the you know knowledge or the authority or the influence to do anything else about it. But man, not a good look after what was a really exciting weekend of of bringing baseball back. So hopefully in some way, they're able to wrap that up and get it under control. And and maybe it's a cautionary tale, right? Everybody takes it a little more seriously at this point in making sure that they create a bubble for their team and they don't go out of that bubble as they travel. And then maybe they're able to work their way through it one series at a time. And we don't have to talk about this every week. That would be ideal. But uh, at this point, not holding my breath
1: yeah and i think part of this is on the players i did see a lot of hugging in the dugouts and Mm -hmm. and things like that i think the players could be doing a better job of social distancing and i recognize how hard that is when you're around a group of people who are your peers your friends whatever but yeah they were a lot closer to each other than i was expecting them to be
0: And I think there's probably, to some degree, maybe a false sense of security when you know everybody's being tested all the time, you know that the people that you're around are the people who are operating within this sort of pseudo bubble. And you might be lulled into a little bit, like I said, of a false sense of security in that, well, I can be close in proximity to these guys because they're in the same situation that I am and they're being tested just like I am. But all it takes is one guy to mess up that whole scenario and then the security you thought you had in fact i believe craig mish tweeted about this today in regards to the marlins that to a man they all said we felt safe in the environment that we had created so everyone was surprised by this outbreak because they 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 thought they had it under control which is like i said why maybe this is a wake-up call and and everybody will
1: respond accordingly yeah so i, I have a question about that like does it even matter if, what what do the tests actually do if you're not getting the results back almost immediately?
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge flaw in this plan. And that's always been a huge flaw in this plan is that you're letting guys play based on data that's a day and a half old. And that has always been one of the, the holes in the system for me because you're right. I mean, that's what we've seen in the last couple of times there's been a positive case is that it was someone who was tested on like a Sunday and played on a Monday and got their test back on Tuesday and it was positive. Well, then there's those whole few days in between where they were unaware of the positive test. So yeah, this whole testing system that isn't every day is pretty problematic. Yeah. I don't know if they can fix that at this point, but they might need to try because that seems like a big part of the the problem right now. One of many at this point, but you know, we could, we could go round and round in circles about that. I don't want to waste uh, everyone's time with stuff that they already know at this point, but it is a problem. It is scary to think about how quickly it spiraled. And ah, man, we just have to hope that that someone comes up with a better plan than the one that they've already been operating under and teams stick to it or else this season is going to be a lot shorter than we thought it was going to be, and it was already quite short. Right. So with that, we'll move on to the trip of the week and then get you out of here a day early so you can watch more baseball and soak in every moment because we don't know how long it's going to last. So for now, the trip of the week.
1: Cool, cool. So Tara, as you know, Wrigley Field, home of the Chicago Cubs, has been around for a very long time. Uh, It's the second oldest active baseball stadium um next to Fenway Park and it's been uh being used to host baseball games for over a 100 years and six baseball players have had multi more than one three home run games at Wrigley Field and I'm going to tell you who those six are um, the most three home run games belonged to Sammy Sosa and Ernie Banks. They both had four of them. Hank Sauer, Cub, he had two. Aramis Ramirez, he had two. Andre Dawson, Cub, he had two, although one of them was when he was with the Expos. And the only other person to have more than one three home run game at Wrigley Field is Albert Pujols. Ay. Which is awesome. Uh, talk to any Cub fan. I think they're more willing to admit it now because he's not a Cardinal anymore. Yeah. And talk, talk to any living Cub fan and they'll tell you how much, how afraid they were of Albert Pujols and this is why. He he was very good against the Cubs. He had a three home run game against the Cubs in 2004. Um, that game was written about at Viva Alberto's uh, about a week or two ago because That was an interesting game because I believe it helped them come back from a 9-1 deficit or 8-1 deficit. It's a game most people remember. And he did it again in 2010, and that was a game where the Cardinals uh, just blew out the Cubs. Um, So all those years Wrigley Field has been around, um, Albert Pujols is the only non-Cub to have multi-three home run games at Wrigley Field. He has more three home run games at Wrigley than, say, Chris Bryant, than, say, Billy Williams, than, say, Dave Kingman, or Ryan Sandberg, or any other Cubs slugger or close to be slugger um, that you can think of. And uh, I don't know, I just think that was uh, something cool that I realized uh, last week, and uh, that I'm bringing up now because I needed a trip of the week really quick. Um, And this is (laughs) going to be a short one. Um, And so there you go. The only other Cardinal to have a three home run game, of course, is Matt Carpenter, who did it uh, just a couple seasons ago when he also hit two doubles and had the chance to basically have the greatest single offensive game of all time. But he was pulled late in the game by new manager. Mike Schilt, and he never got that last plate appearance. So I like to think in my head he would have hit a double or a home run or who knows um, because that game he went five for five and had 12, had a, what I think 16 total bases tying Mark Witten's record. But yeah, that that was a great game too. But yeah, still, so Albert Pujols is the Cardinal who was basically the king at Wrigley, uh, the only non Cub to have two more than to have two, three home run games at Wrigley. And that's it. That's all I got.
0: Nice. I, I will tell you, I will reveal a secret on this show about that Matt Carpenter home run game, mm-hmm. the three home run game. I was at that game. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I actually remember However, that. However, the truth of the, the story is I was with friends and my friends were running late. And we oh. were... Driving to the stadium, listening to Matt Carpenter's first home run. (laughs) So I was there that game, but I did not see all five hits from Matt Carpenter. In fact, I'm pretty sure I only saw the last three by the time we finally Uh, parked, got into Wrigley, and were able to get to our seats. So I was there. But I did not see all three home runs.
1: Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Wrigley, you gotta know how to navigate those waters. You can't yeah. just drive around looking for a parking spot or you're gonna be. And because in, in we trouble. were
0: running late, we were there so much later that it was so hard to figure out where we could go that wasn't gonna take us an eternity to walk to the stadium. And, you know, we we pulled in one place and the guy wanted, you know, like $75 or something oh. to park. I don't know, something ridiculous. And then he wanted to keep my keys. And I was like, nah, I'm not a big fan of that plan. So then we pulled out and we're looking for some other place. And actually, that guy's buddy came up and he was like, hey, uh, you, you still need a place to park, right? And I was like, dude, you just saw that whole interaction go down yes I need a place to park He was like yeah I'm parked right over here I'll move and you can have this spot for 45 or whatever it was so he undercut his buddy and I took his spot <laughs> and then we finally got to the stadium but we were we were late enough that I missed a little bit of the magic of the Matt Carpenter three home run game
1: but it was still pretty fun what uh what are your thoughts what were your thoughts on Wrigley you like Wrigley
0: I like Wrigley Me too. I like the nostalgia factor in a lot of a lot of baseball things um so i like wrigley for kind of what it is but you have to take it for what it is and not try to make it into some apples to apples comparison with newer stadiums in different locations and whatever the parking is horrendous and that's very frustrating but i like wrigley i like it a lot
1: i do too i, I think i you know, I, I, I expect any ballpark to modernize, change with the times. I think they went maybe just slightly a little too far. Um, I could have done with just one of the big video boards. Um, yeah. The uh, video boards are slightly obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, they're kind of necessary. Like, it's nice they're to have the show if... replays and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the one in right field I could maybe do without. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that said, uh, I agree with you. I, I think Wrigley – and I haven't been there since 2015 right when they kind of started uh, – right when kind of okay. the new Wrigley was starting to – it was actually the first game of the year. There were still tarps over the bleachers and you may remember mm, this, That's right. The men's bathroom yep. was a disaster. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um,
0: You should go back because it's a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm
1: sure it is. It's probably also a lot more expensive from what I understand. Probably true. Uh, No,
0: and they've done a lot surrounding Wrigley um, in similar fashion to what Ballpark Village is. It's not, they don't have that much space to work with, Mm -hmm. but they've done, they've got a nice lawn with a big screen you can watch outside the stadium and then that sort of thing. So there's a lot that they've done to modernize it, to make it a little more of a destination, but. I don't know. I like the charm of the the uniqueness that is Wrigley. I do
1: too. And uh, I don't love all the things they've done outside. I used to live just about a half a mile from Wrigley. And there was a okay. Taco Bell that you would walk by on your way there. Uh-huh, that was like yeah. a staple that they tore down. There was a McDonald's that was legendary that is now gone. Um, and, and replaced with like high-end, you know, hotels or whatever. I don't know. Uh, I'm just sounding like a grump. But no, Wrigley Field's great. <laughs> I'm I am uh, i have had very awesome awesome times at Wrigley Field and not so awesome times at Wrigley Field, but I think the the awesome times outweigh the not so awesome times.
0: I went actually the, the next day to that next game as well, and it was so windy and cold. <laughs> it was I mean it was good. It was it was fun. The Cardinals did not win that game, but it was so cold and it was not as not quite as fun as the day before, but you know, that's part of the charm of Wrigley, right? You never know what the weather's going to be like once you're inside that stadium or what the wind is going to be like. But nonetheless, I like it. I loved seeing Matt Carpenter hit most of those three home runs. Didn't see the first one. And man, I wish I would have seen I wish I would have seen Albert there. That would have been fun too. Um so that is your trip of the week. That is the show for this week. A whole day early. So enjoy the bonus day of chirps and then enjoy Cardinals baseball and whatever other baseball you choose to consume on the off chance that it's a while before we get to consume it again so I think that'll do it for this show and we will talk to you again next week hopefully about more baseball still happening and less about COVID outbreaks because that's not nearly as fun to talk about (laughs) for Alex I'm Tara we'll talk to you next time